Mom Plowden looked at one of her 83, that's not an exaggeration, 83 foster children and said, CL, you can either use all of those bad experiences in life as an excuse and stay right where you are, or you can go out and change the world with it. And you're going to hear in this episode of Unbeatable how CL King took that advice from his foster mom and changed the world with it on this episode of Unbeatable. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life. You're listening to Unbeatable with Jeff Strucker. CL, thank you for joining me on this episode of Unbeatable. Been looking forward to talking to you for a while, man. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. Uh, I'm I'm looking you know forward to this interview. The moment that they that your team reached out to me, I was just like, let me go see who I'm connecting with. All and right. I was like, wow, this is going to be great. All right. Hey, um, by the way, we're going to get to this part of your story in just a few, but you served in the United States Marine Corps. And I want to stop before we go any further and just say, man, thank you for serving the country. Right. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And thank you for serving the country. As yeah. Well. So uh, let's do a little bit of backstory and explain to everybody a little bit about your childhood and why you ended up in the Marine Corps. So why don't you tell us a little bit about growing up? Yes, sir. Grew up in uh, started out in the streets of uh, Cleveland, Ohio, the bitter cold uh-huh. streets of Cleveland, February. The mean 6th, streets 19- of Cleveland. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. February 6th, 1975. And it started out, it started out with adversity. Early on, I was taken away from my mother, put in some sort of foster home in Pennsylvania. And then I came back to the Cleveland area sometime around three or four years old, stayed some time with my grandmother, who that was its own picture of adversity. Um, I think people during the 50s and 60s thought child abuse was just normal. And so I, I had some I had some issues there living yeah. with my grandmother. Uh, I went for some reason to live with my dad. My dad wasn't much in the picture. I lived with him for about a year. Uh, that's where he tried to kill me in the bathtub, almost drowned me in the tub Good there. Gracious, and, man. Uh, yeah. So I moved, I moved from him. I was like bouncing around. I lived in seven different places for the first 18 years. Uh, went to live with my mom officially around 10 or 11. And that was just an absolute challenge. There was drugs, there was sexual abuse, physical abuse, homelessness, starvation, malnutrition, um, roaches everywhere. It, it was just a, it was a challenging time for me and my sister. And I think the catalyst is, you know, I've been talking about this in my book is that I, I did one thing that set in motion the change. Yeah, Jeff. And I already know what that one thing is, but I want everybody <laughs> else to hear it. So <laughs> it was one thing. And, and the one thing only my, my, uh, my mom's husband had went to a homeless shelter to get some food and he brought back a brownie. We ate at the homeless shelters often. Uh-huh. That was kind of like our course. Well, anyway, he brought back this brownie and put it in the refrigerator and I was so hungry. I went and snuck a piece of that brownie, continued to sneak a piece until it was all gone. My mother told us the next day, she said, Je- she said this, Jeff, to me and my sister, I'm going to beat y'all every day till someone tells me who ate that brownie. Now, my sister, she she wasn't in the core back then, but she yeah. had loyalty. Yeah. She wasn't going to tell her. All right. Right. <laughs> and uh, is your sister was, younger or older, by the way? She was older than me. Yeah. She was older. So she's watching out for little brother. He's watching out for little brother. And I determined that I was not going to get beat with that thing. She was beating us with ever again. Uh So I walked out the front door, Jeff left. I left the front door wide open and I remained on the streets of Cleveland for six months after that. Yeah. How old were you when you walked out? 
11. Holy smokes. 11 years old and living on the streets by yourself? Because the question was, who ate my brownie? Yeah. That was the question, which is the title of my book. Uh-huh. And if I had not eaten that brownie, and if I had not made decision that decision to leave, God only knows how my life turned out. Now, it didn't, it didn't turn into a bed of roses right after Jeff, because uh, after a while, going showing up in different places, going to school a few times, social services got involved, yeah. and I was placed in a group home in Elyria, Ohio, where I had to leave there because I was being sexually abused there, physically abused there. So they put me in another foster home in Lorraine, Ohio, and I had to leave that foster home because there was some allegations of sexual abuse there. And so I was just oh, like smoke, a bouncing man. and bouncing and bouncing till finally, Jeff. I got to Ruth E. Plowden's house. I call the chair that I'm sitting in the Ruth E. Plowden legacy. Chair. Really? Yes, sir. Wow. She was my she was my last foster mom. She had 83 foster kids over 35 uh-uh. years. 83? Yes. Holy cow. And I, Jeff, was her favorite. Of I course. just know you were the best one. <laughs> well, I went to my foster mom with two hefty glad trash bags of, of clothes. And she said this, she said, Chris, you can take all that stuff and use it as an excuse. Your dad abusing, your mom abusing, you homelessness on the streets, all of that. Or you can use that story to change the world, Jeff. And that's she what I chose that to, to do. you. Man, that is an that's a brilliant woman and amazing piece of advice. Yes, sir. And from there, the, uh, I lived I lived with her from 13 and a half Till graduation, I graduated, went into the United States Marine Corps, married my the love of my life. We have seven children, eight grandchildren, and life has never been the same since. Yeah, seven. I hope everybody just heard what you said. Seven children and eight <laughs> grandchildren, which means your wife is a beautiful woman. She is. She is. She's the love of my life. And so very, very thankful for her. And she's, she's been on this journey with me, um, kind of recapping this story and uh, bringing it back to help uh, people around the country. Yeah. So I want to make sure I heard the name correctly. Ruth E. Plowder. Plowden. Plowden. Okay. Yes, sir. Um, you have example after example after example of just horror story in foster care. But I, I need people to that are listening to this episode right now to know that not all foster situations are like that. Unfortunately, right. some are, but not all of them are. And it sounds like Mrs. Plowden was a, that woman was different. You know, you know, Jeff, I'll be honest with you, sir. She was different. She was a drill sergeant. Now, my foster mom, my foster dad, they, they took in all the, the, the most troubled youth. They were a white family. All their kids were black kids from the hood. They said, give us the ones that, that give nobody, us the one else, that nobody wants. else wants, right? Give us the yeah. ones that nobody else wants. And so I feel like Ruth E. Plowden was like the scripture in Revelations. God said, I've seen your works and I set before you an open door. All right. She was my, she was my open door, Jeff. And I walked through it. How did you end up making the decision to go to the Marine Corps? What was the thought process? Do you uh, I, you know, going I on recall there. it vividly. I was working at church on the North coast, which was right up the street from mom and pop's house. Pastor Louie and Tina Canton uh, really exposed me to ministry, uh-huh. inner city ministry. They kind of took me in, took me under their wings, gave me, helped me develop my faith. And uh, once I graduated, I realized I, I was thinking about going into full-time ministry, but I knew that there were some things that I wanted to do in terms of just growing up and standing on my own. Uh-huh. And so that was kind of, I've always had like these, you know, imaginations of the military service. I tried the army. They, they weren't, they weren't 
impressive. I tried to, no, no, I'm just playing. Nah, I'm just I hear you, man. When you see those Marine recruiters in that uniform, it gets yeah. everybody's attention. I totally get you're, it. You're right, man. So uh, I went to the Army, the Navy, and the Marine Corps was just like, uh, I was kind of like, I like the no nonsense, you know, just yeah. cut to the chase. And that's the way my foster mom was. She was not, she was not big on a bunch of excuses. It was black and white, yes and no. And so when I went to Marine Corps, they said, hey, we can get you out of here in about 15 days. And that's literally what they did. Yeah. How old were you when you went to the Marines? 19. Okay. Um, here's why I'm asking you that story, man. Believe it or not, you and I have an awful lot in common. I bounced around in my family growing up a little bit. And I moved more than 20 times before <laughs> turning 18. Oh I went to four high schools in three states. And when I was a senior in high school, like you, I was just looking for a way to get out. And so I went to a recruiter and was like, get me out of town. If you, if you'll, if you'll move me away and send me somewhere else, I'll go. I'll, right. you know, I don't even care what it is. Just get me out of town, which is what the army did for me. It sounds like that's yes, what sir. the Marine Corps did for you too. Yes. Yes, sir. That, you know, and, and that's true. And I, sometimes I tell people this and I tell young people this all the time, that time period right after graduation is a, is a critical time. I try to tell young people, I know you feel like, well, you're rushing, you're rushing, but I'm telling you the decisions that I made in that span, you know, that short yeah. span oh, yeah. from, from June to February, it was like those decisions still impact me to this that's day. A, that's exactly right. Yep. Those things will live with you for the rest of your life. If you do them right, there's good for the rest of your life. You make some bad decisions, that'll stay with you. Those scars you'll carry with you to your grave. You're right, Jeff. You're right. Um, hey, I just wrapped up an interview not long ago from Casey Bethard and you I was thinking about you when you were talking just a moment ago. I was thinking about Casey's story. There's a kid who grew up on the streets, bounced around a lot, was in foster homes, got himself in some trouble. You know, nobody really took him in and treated him like family. And um, when he became a grown man, short story is he murdered Casey Bethard's son. Oh my. And Casey ended up reconciling with the family, hoping the best for the kid. But as I was thinking about you telling your story, I was thinking you could have easily, CL, you could easily have become that kid. And the fact that you didn't become that kid who ends up dead or in jail or, you know, doing something horrendous, um, it, it says a lot about the guy that you are today. But you I know, think it also says something about um, the transformation that happened in your life. So, man, let's talk about that for a few minutes. Yeah, you're right. And uh, I, I will just be very transparent with you because I just feel like God has put us together for I, such I a time. I agree completely. And, and uh, I, I, you know, to, to sit here and say, here I am, 47 years old, to say that that the things that happened in the first 18 years don't sometimes create some some bumps in the road or haven't created bumps in the road for my 30 years of marriage would be would be an untruth. Um, but you said this and 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 I, I love it because I've I've traveled around the country using this simple word called choice. And uh, some people some people yeah. uh, run from it. Some people try to uh, minimize it, but it really does come down to choice. I love my other 83 foster brothers but I did some statistical analysis because that's kind of my background. All right. And uh, only five of the 83 chose to listen to mom. Plowman. Holy cow. Only five of the 83. 
So it is, it is, we lived in the same house. Listen to me yeah. now. We, we had the same opportunities. We, we lived in the suburban areas. Church on the North Coast was right up the street. Yeah. Mom and pops were a stable family. They showed us love and Christian compassion. And only five accepted it. And only five chose wow. to take their life in the course yeah. that mom said. And so I do believe, sir, that choice is every day I have to choose. Oh, yeah. It wasn't like I, I chose at 18 and I'm good now, yeah. man. Every day I have to choose to yeah. like, okay, King, you're going to put this flesh under control. You're going to get your carcass That's out the right. bed and you're going to choose to do something productive today. Yeah. And everyone who's listening to this right now, uh, you, you know, he's speaking directly to you like he is to me too. You got a choice when you get up tomorrow and that choice is going to decide what your day is like. And ultimately after enough of those days, that's going to decide who you become or what yeah. your, what your future looks like. So don't take it lightly. Yes, um, sir. The reason I mentioned a, a little bit about my background and moving so much is when I joined the army, I found something that I didn't expect and it totally caught me off guard. You went right. to the United States Marine Corps. I show up to the army and a few weeks in, I'm in over my head and just trying to, you know, figure out how to meet the challenges in front of me. But a couple yeah. of months into it, I found a family and I didn't expect that, man. It really, really surprised me. And I like to refer to this as brotherhood now. And mm. I don't even need to know you. Every Marine I've ever met looks at other Marines like brothers and family just right. because of the common bond of the core. So um, I, I want to talk for just a couple of minutes. I do this segment that's called the high five. And what I want us to do is go back and forth a little bit about that brotherhood that right. I found in the army, you found in the Marine Corps, and how strong that bond can get. So uh, how about if we just bounce back and forth a little bit on this one? Yes, sir. I'm down with it. And uh, I love this. I love this segment. I'm really thinking about inserting it. All right. I, prom okay. I promise you, I'll give you credit. No, for man, it. you don't have to do that. It's all <laughs> yours. Do your thing with it. Yeah. yeah. Brotherhood is important. Listen, I didn't have biological family, but I did find um, that even being a foster kid, uh, a relationship was important because, you know, you just getting tossed around in life. Well, you know, from one place to another. Well, when you came into the military service, it doesn't just have to be the Marine Corps. Right. But that, but that connection, that camaraderie developed from us all having a similar story. Yeah. Right. We were all forged the same, whether That's it's the right. Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine. Right. We, we all had the same story. And so that's what really uh, catapulted us into this thing called brotherhood. Yeah. And not only do we have that same story, everybody goes through the same kind of initial training, but you have that shared hardship where you went through yes. something really tough and um, there was a brother right next to you while you were going through it. And it was tough on him the same time it was tough on you. And now you guys got a bond together. That's and so true. Frankly, some of my buddies from the military, the relationship with them is far stronger than it is with my biological family because of right. what they went through right next to me. And, you know, I, I will say this now, some of the guys, I, I, you know, I went to boot camp many years ago, just like you, but one of the things that I, that I have developed over the years is maybe not that I was able to maintain that connection with those guys that we went to boot camp with, but everywhere along the way, yeah. I I've been grafted into a new brotherhood. That's right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's like, totally you, know, get you, go it. To, you go to Jacksonville, you go to Havelock, you go to Myrtle Beach, you, wherever, and you bump into somebody you see wearing that, uh -huh. that veteran cap. It's just like, we got to have a conversation. Right. Yeah. 
Well, I want to talk for just a second. We're doing this high five segment on brotherhood. And I think there's a guy or a gal out there that's pretty much been able to make it through life on their own. They're the air quotes, lone wolf out there. And they feel like, man, I'm pretty good. I got things figured out on my own. I don't need that kind of brotherhood. So I want to challenge them. I want you to challenge them a little bit. The one that thinks I can, I can get, I can get this. uh, I can handle things all on my own. I've got this all figured out. Um, And my first challenge to that lone wolf out there who doesn't feel like you need brotherhood is to remind you that everybody has blind spots. And here's the thing. Most people are blind to their own blind spots. So you don't even know how bad your blind spot is until somebody, a brother comes along next to you and shows you how big your blind spot is. That's powerful. So you tell me, man, one of those things that you would say to that guy or that gal who, who thinks I can figure this one out on the, all on my own, but they really need a brother or a sister to come alongside them. They do. And listen, I don't want to get, I don't, I'm not taking up an offering. So I don't want to sound so religious all the time, but let me just tell you that when you talk about brotherhood, I think about this guy in the Bible called uh, named Cain, Uh right? And, and this is a question that reverberates, I feel, throughout antiquity. Uh, Cain was asked, where is your brother, uh-huh. the, guy, the guy that he had just slain, right? And uh, Cain asked a, a follow-up question. He didn't give an answer, That's but right. he answered, he a, answered question a question with a question. With, with the question, am I my brother's keeper? And I always want to parenthetically insert myself into that, into mm-hmm. that moment and say, Yes, yes, you are. I am. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, we got to recognize this, man. I've got friends that are and brothers that are totally different from me, radically different. I mean, long beards, long hair. To, we're totally different. But yet we're inseparable because of that brotherhood. Yeah. Why? Because they keep my back and I keep theirs. That's exactly right. Yep. In fact, I was just thinking of the song Lean On Me, um, yes. Bill Withers, and I was I was thinking about how much we all need each other. Even that guy or that gal who feels like the lone wolf who thinks I've got it all figured out. Actually, you need somebody to lean against. They need you to lean against. And when you guys are leaning against each other, this is Forrest Gump and Bubba Blue style. When you guys are leaning against each other, <laughs> things go yeah. better for both of you. Yeah, you may be able to handle things okay right now, but you would be a lot better off if you had a brother or a sister that's got your back. Right. And, you know, sometimes I internalize stuff, you know, as you, uh, Jeff, I've carried a lot over the past 47 years, right? There are some things that I just can't even reconcile or talk about with my wife that I can talk about with my brother. Absolutely. I can talk to Wally. I can talk to Greg. I can talk to Mike. And I know that they won't judge me. You know, I, I know that they're going to give me a few morsels of words to, right. to pick me up. Right. And and so when you know, when God said it's not good for man to be alone, oftentimes we look at that as, OK, it's meant for you to have a wife. But it's also meant just like you said, it's meant for you not to go it alone yeah. in this life. Yeah, it's funny that you should say that because the last thing I was going to mention about this little segment that we're doing on brotherhood is to say, no matter how much you may hate to admit it, everybody at the deepest level, down in your DNA level, everybody has this intense desire to belong to a group or to a family. And the 
I think what I found in the army that surprised me was family and brotherhood and people that were willing to lock arms with me and go through hardships with me. And they started to bring me, accept me like you just described and treat me like family. And that's when I started to develop some buddies that have stuck with me for life. Am I allowed to, uh, how much time we got left? You got time, man. Go for it. Okay. I want to just tell you that over the past 24 months or plus, you you know, our country and our nation has been in a different posture. Our world has been in a different posture where, where isolation was of necessity, right? And being separated and socially distant was, was the mandate to preserve life. Well, regardless of how you feel about it, it just happened to be something that was going on. But I, I do want I do want to challenge us that it's not just enough for us to talk about the the umbrella of brotherhood without us thinking about that person that very well may need us. Yeah. Right. Like, in other words, you know, everybody's been separated and distanced and all this kind of stuff. It's time for us that we can't lose the gift of reaching out. We can't lose that gift of checking on our brother. You know, I think about the prodigal son. He left his father's house and brother. I don't know if he, uh-huh. the, the Bible does not tell us that the brother ever went out to try to find him. In fact, it gives us the indication that he was a little upset yeah, that the brother came right. back and there was a party, right? Uh-huh. Brotherhood, right? Why did you go and check on your brother? Why did you go and try to reach out? And so it's not just waiting on someone to confess all their faults to you or waiting on someone to bring the casserole over. Sometimes, especially after the past 24 months, it's going to be incumbent upon us as leaders, as men, as brothers and sisters to go out and reach out for those that may be otherwise still secluded and sequestered because of the pandemic. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're mentioning this because the um, global coronavirus pandemic caused a lot of people to connect digitally from a distance, but lose a lot of deep connections that are a, a couple of connections that are really deep. You, you went broader with a lot more people digitally and Mm -hmm. over distance, but you, you may have lost a couple of those really deep, close connections. And those connections may have been a guy or a gal who looks you in the eyes and says, man, something seems off on you with you. Are you okay? Like, is, is there something wrong that I need to lean into? And I, I'm just, Man, I'm glad you're bringing this up, CL, because I want to challenge you right now for the listener who's, yeah. who's, who's kind of, you've traded uh, one or two of those really deep relationships for a half a dozen or more of those digital distant relationships. It's time right. for you now to start working on the one or two deep relationships again, because I need a guy or a gal. You need somebody to look you in the eyes and say, man, things don't look right. Are you Okay. Uh, I don't want, you know, you don't look healthy and, I, and I'm not uh, going to turn my back on you right now. So, man, yeah. I'm glad you're saying that. Yeah. And, and I will say during the, during the pandemic, me, Mike, who's my co-host, Greg, who's our VP, we, we decided to break protocol. We got together and went to a Carolina Panthers game. All right. And it, and it was it was it was the greatest weekend during that time span ever because we were together. You know, we turned our phones off, we laughed and carried on and we enriched one another. The Bible says iron sharpeneth iron. Uh And so that's why, that's why it's essential. Like you say, yeah, I love the, it, it strokes our ego to look at, Oh, I got this many followers and this many downloads and all that. 
But you know what? In in the bigger scheme of things, those handful of folks that that man are that I consider my brothers, those really are what, right. what strengthen me every day. That's what matters. Absolutely. All right, man. So let's talk about it. You <laughs> show up to the Marine Corps and you end up when a, in a very different tra- trajectory trajectory in life. And I am I'm thrilled to see how much the influ- the the Corps uh, influenced you, just like the Army influenced me. Um, let's talk a little bit about how, uh, what life looked like for you when you left the core. Well, when I left the core, you know, it was, it was actually a tough decision. Yeah, of course, because uh, you're, you're stepping away from brotherhood. Yeah, it was, it was. And, and, you know, I was thinking about, I, I, listen, I wanted to travel. I wanted to see the world. I wanted to, I wanted to go to the tallest skyscrapers, you know, like, Uh like, like, you know, but, but in reality, God had different plans for me because, I got stationed at Cherry Point, North Carolina, <laughs> for anybody who knows Cherry Point and Camp Lejeune, the epicenter of the United States Marine Corps. Yes, sir. At the epicenter just of nothing pine, else. I was going to say pine trees and nothing else. Sandy, <laughs> sandy, dirty, sandy roads and pine trees. That's it. And so after, after you know, I was like, well, I was started to weighing my options on relative to I got this family and I, you know, I got this security, but at the same time I had this itch, like there's more, there was more for me to do and more for me to do outside. So if I had re-enlisted, I knew I was going to get sent overseas or sent away. Uh I just had a brand new baby. I just, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that. So I made the, I made the leap of faith and I got out of the Marine Corps and started working with at-risk youth because that was my, that was kind of my heart. You got a little experience there, right? Yes, sir. And, and a church on the North coast really helped me pastor Lewis and Tina Canton. They helped, they helped me go out into the projects in Cleveland and, and bring kids back to church. So I just, I had a, I had a passion for it. And so I started working with, uh, the, they called them back then Willie M students. These were like severe kids that couldn't even go to the regular school system. I said, these are the kind of kids I want. And I'll fresh out the Marine All Corps right. brothers. So yeah, I came give me the hardest case out there, on. right? Yes, sir. I'm ready to rock. And um, that was that was a great experience for me. I think I was there for three years and uh, really just the, the 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 time period of that that stands out to me the most is a kid that I talk about in some of my speeches called Chris. His name is Chris Walden. Uh-huh. And uh, Chris Walden uh, was one of those kids. He bounced around from 15 different homes. He was wow. on psychotropic medications. Nobody wanted him. He didn't know who his real parents were. And man, I, I gravitated to that kid because that was me. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Um, sadly, in 2006, Chris was murdered in the oh, very man. projects that I used to go and minister to. Um, and so and so it just helped me to realize, man, that that you got to try everything you can to make an impact on the life. I don't know that we did enough. I know it was his choice. But I, looking at the system, you know, the, the system, yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the mechanisms that we use to try to help at risk kids. I, I'm just having been an insider. I don't know if 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 it true if we've truly done enough. But nonetheless, um, from there, I, I, I really uh, stepped out into another re- arena working for Defense Logistics Agency. And uh, around 2010, I got that ringing in my ears, that sound, I got this great salary, got this beautiful home, great wife, beautiful kids. I got this ringing in my ears from my foster mom, Ruth E. Plowden. Use it to change the world. And and I was just comfortable in my career. Uh 
And, you know, I'm hearing about gang presence rising in our neighborhoods and this and that and people bullying going on. That was rampant. And I said, you know what? I'm, I got to get out. So I met this guy named Greg Smith, my very best friend. Me and him went to, to Golden Corral. I sat down with a scratch piece of paper and said, listen, me and you are going to change the world. And here comes the plan right now. Let me, let me scratch it out on a napkin, right? On a napkin. Just It was very crude, brother. No no highfalutin, uh, you pro- uh-huh. continual process improvements and all that. I just said, we're going to change the world. He said, well, how are you going to do it? I said, I'm going to tell my story. We're going to impact some lives. He said, well, let's go. And literally the very first speech I gave, maybe back in, maybe this was 2009, I don't know. It was like in a, in a room of eight students that were just, hurriedly put in there and i guess they were trying to be nice to me to let me talk to them eight students uh and after that to this day from that moment to now we've reached over four hundred thousand. all right and all we've done is just go from place to place throughout the country telling kids that no matter the adversity you still can make it yeah i've just got this mental image of this tough well-trained Marine who's getting ready to deliver his first speech. So come on, man, tell us what it was like preparing for and getting ready to walk into that room. Even though it was only eight kids, tell us what a little bit of what it felt like. Well, you know, what I, what I recognize is as a, as a professional speaker is that it doesn't matter if it's eight or Uh 8,000, your, your, your job is to still make an impact and to make a connection. And so as I, as I was getting ready uh, you know, I had these nerves like, oh, my goodness, you know, are they going to accept what I say? And when I stepped into that room, Jeff, and I began to I, did, I, I walk around the room, even if it's if it's a thousand people, I'm down in the audience touching and feeling and looking. I was talking to these kids, man. And when you watch a tear begin to roll down yeah. their eye, I call that the point of no return. You've connected with yeah. your audience yeah. like like they feeling what you put down. And I knew from that moment, uh, Jeff, eight kids, 800, 8,000. This is what my, this is what my calling in life is to do. I don't care about salary. I don't care about right. claim. I don't care about any of that. I care about making an impact because there was nobody there. I recall that, that I remember this booming figure besides mom Plowden that spoke words of life into my, into my, my existence when I was going through hell. And so I said, man, I'm going to be that voice. I'm going to be that John the Baptist in this last hour to, de- to declare to kids and moms and dads, it don't matter what you've been through. And I know that sounds callous sometimes, yeah. but it is true. As long as there's breath, there's hope, Jeff. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you described this because I, like you, I've been on the stage a time or two and the, the nerves, the anxiety that goes along with that, let's just be honest, it'll cause a lot of people who really feel like they've got a story and need to tell it, but they don't right. because of how right. scary it is. In fact, right. the, when the researchers do the, the, the math and they survey like the most terrifying things that humans are afraid of. This typically comes number one or number two on the list. Standing up and speaking, it, as you said, doesn't matter if it's an audience of 8,000 or eight, it terrifies people. And you're right. Something has to be big enough or motivating you enough to get over that fear and to stand up and to just put yourself out there and to let it go. And in your case, CL, you got a passion and a vision to impact people and to make, help them to have a better future. And that is motivating. That's powerful enough to help you get over that fear, right? I agree. And, you know, I, I came to a conclusion early on 
because I used to give out surveys. You know, I wanted to be all professional. Yeah. You know, what I mean, I, I wanted to know what the educated yeah. folks thought about yeah. what I said. How did I right? do? Right? Yeah, tell me. And man, the time that I got a, a survey back and it said you were too loud, I, I can't believe. Imagine me being too loud, right? Right. Uh, another one. Other teacher said that your PowerPoint had a misspelling on it, <laughs> so I don't use PowerPoint. Yeah, I still, me either. I still, for that very, you know reason. what I mean. I don't do yeah. PowerPoint. But what I recognized is this is where it came, where it shifted for me, Gray. I mean, um, Jeff, it's not about me. I'm not a performer. I'm not, I'm not a trained SEAL. I'm not, that's not, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm not here to juggle and tell jokes. I'm here to deliver a message that's for you. And so it's, it's not about how well I perform. It's about how well I connect. And if I, if you go, and this is for speakers out there listening to this broadcast, if, if you, if you're just going to go and try to look professional and hold your hand, just right. And just want never, the applause, right? Right, right. If, but if you never connect with that audience, um, it's just uh, sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. And so I, I look at everyone like, like there's one little thing I do. And I know we're just giving out a quick little hint. It don't matter the size of the event. I shake everybody's hand before, while they're coming in. Uh-huh. Every one of them. Every one of them. I do. I've done it the whole time. And the reason why I do that is I feel like that point of connection right there will establish a further connection yeah. when they hear me talk. Yeah. So, that, yeah, I, I just I just believe now it ain't about how how fancy my words are anymore. It's not about how eloquent or dynamic. It's about the connection that we make and the impact that yeah. is left on the person. Yeah, there you go. Look people in the eye, shake every hand and you will yeah. end up making and uh, leaving a, uh, an impact on somebody. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Mom Plowden gave you a profound piece of advice that people that are driving right now and listening to this podcast need to hear again, because all of us have some baggage. All of us have gone through some things in the past. We've been hurt by some things in the past, or we've made some mistakes and hurt ourselves. And those mistakes are haunting us. And you uh, showed up to mom Plowden's foster house and she gave you a challenge And that challenge was you can just carry that baggage around with you and you can use it as an excuse and you can go down the wrong road or a bad, you can, you can use it, uh, you know, and blame who you are and what's happening to you on that. Or she gave you one other option with that baggage. And what was that other option? She said, you can use all of that, all of those uh, issues to change the world. And I will, I will say Jeff that, it is clear that when you look at society and when you look at people that have maybe you use that word trajectory, I love that word. When you've looked at other kids and young people who have taken the same trajectory, I think one thing that stood out to me is that it was like why, how I made it through the Marine Corps. Uh-huh. If, that, if that person can do it, then why can't I? If the, if that, if one person can make it through the 13 grueling weeks That's right. of Paris yep. Island, if one person can do it, then that means I can do it. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm not going to let you be better than me. And, you know, sometimes I get boxed in because of my race. I get boxed in because of who I'm married to. I get boxed in because of my faith. And I'm just like, you guys got to recognize this. I was forged in a crucible of adversity. Yeah. Right. It was it was a crucible of adversity. But in a crucible, there is a change. Mm-hmm. There is a change happening. Right. 
See, so so I, I feel like that when when I was poured out into this life from this crucible, I was made to be different. You know, sometimes I go into circles and they expect me to be a D or an R. Yeah. And I said, I'm not a Democrat or Republican. I'm a Christocrat. How All about right. that? Okay. Right, right. right? And, and so and so I, I, I have accepted my call. I've accepted what Ruth E. Plowden told me to do. She was radical. She sang Absolutely. gospel music to yeah. the top of yeah. her lungs in her house. She praised God. She didn't take no junk. She wasn't scared of no six foot five, 300 pound. But <laughs> she wasn't scared of none of them right. boys. He was tough. And 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 I, that that rubbed off on me. She, you know, there's time. I remember my car got repossessed after I got married. I mean, I'm making good money and yeah. I didn't know how to manage it. Right. Uh-huh. I remember they came, Jeff, and pulled up and took my car, my my gold uh, Dodge Caravan. And I'm watching as my little kid standing on this porch, watching our van getting taken yeah, away. Yeah. And and there was a time when I could have said, oh, well, let me go sell some drugs. Right. Or let me go. Let me go hustle to make a right, little right. Nah, man. Nah. You know what I did? I went and found a little buy here, pay here gig. Yeah. Rode this old beat up other van for, for several weeks. Got my finances in order and then went and bought the car that I wanted. You will think I'm making this up, but my family and I drove a gold Dodge Caravan when we had a bunch of children too. So I'm totally down with you right now, man. Are you feeling me, yep, brother? See, God, God works know what in you're talking about. In fact, we had a nickname for that Dodge Caravan. That what minivan. was it called? We called it Goldilocks. Um, and it was used, it was beat up when we bought it, but yes, you know sir. what? It got us from place to place. And, th- and those times, those times are humbling. Um, those, but, but you know what, they build such great character. Yeah. And you, you know, now people look at our end state, Jeff, they look at our end state, right? You and I are the Mount Rushmore's of, of overcoming, right? Yeah. They look at our end state, but they don't look at, they don't know what it took to get there. Right. And every day I wake up and thank God for that process, even though it's grueling and rigorous and, and tumultuous and dark, we don't want to, we don't want this show. We don't want people out there to think that it, you know, all it is is dark. I want you to know that there is hope. Yeah, there is light absolutely. at the end of the tunnel. I want to, that's what I want to go to next. So we yeah. just did this. Uh, we just described this. Every single listener, doesn't matter where you live or how old you are. All of us have some baggage because yeah. all of us have been through some things, maybe not nearly to the extent that CL has, but you've been through some things. And right. if you're if you're not careful, you will let the things that you've been through in the past become an excuse for not becoming the man or the woman that you could be. And That's Mom right. Plowden looked you in the eyes and said, are you going to use it as an excuse or are you going to use it to change the world? Right. And I really believe you wouldn't be listening to this podcast right now if you didn't want to be better and make a difference with some of that baggage that you've been through in the past. Ooh. But maybe they're sitting there listening to you right now, CL, and they're saying, I, I want to do that, but right. I'm not exactly sure how because it keeps haunting me and it keeps hanging over my head. And I'm just going to set the ball on the tee and make it really easy for, easy for you, CL. I want you to tell them how they can handle adversity and still make it. How can they get through the tough stuff and still end up better in the future, not bitter and worse because of it? Because this is basically what you do 24-7, man. So now it's time for you to just do what you do and do it with the listening audience to this podcast. I'll be honest with you, sir. Uh, at the core, you know, I, I try to be mindful of the, the times we're living in and everybody's got their own 
flavor or whatever, but I'll just be honest with you at the core of me, I'm just speaking for on behalf of me is that everything that we've ever had at our center is our faith in God. Yeah. Everything. Now that's not some voodoo magic. That's not some blab it and grab it. I'm just talking about, it was the centerpiece of how we raised our kids. It was the centerpiece of mom Plowden. I carried that over into my family. Mm -hmm. And so when things did go bad, I still relied on my faith in God. I still, I still relied on that. You know, I can, you are more than a conqueror. Mm -hmm. And so with that being the center for me, my wife and my children, we found that no matter what came our way, we still had a foundation. And sometimes people's foundation are built, are, are built on things that the moth and the rust corrupt. Yeah. Okay. I'm not trying to sound super spiritual, but I mean, cause I'm just a human being, right. With a whole bunch of flaws, right. but, but I will tell you this, that what your foundation is built upon is really, truly what will sustain you. Yeah. If your foundation yeah. is built on acclaim and money and getting the next new house, I've watched people lose half a million million dollar homes. Cause that's all their foundation was. Wow. Their foundation was what is the next thing I can get? You know what? I'm happy with where we are in life and at the core of everything we do is our faith and our trust in God. When things are going great to God, be the glory. Yeah. And when things are not going great, Jeff, to God, be the glory. Yeah. Now, Denzel Washington has said the exact same thing at a commencement graduation. I watched it and it motivated me. Yep. Right. Right. Nobody threw tomatoes at him. And so if Denzel, who is one of my most favorite actors and, and a prolific speaker, if he can say it and not be ashamed of it, then then so can I. Yeah. And and really, that's what has sustained us. All the other things that I do, all the other you know accolades and all the achievements and accomplishments could not I could not accredit them to anything but the foundation. And I am so blessed that Ruthie Plowden and Doctors Lewis and Tina Canton gave me a foundation of faith that though it sometimes seems fragile, it has sustained me yeah. for 47 years. Yeah. yeah, so the person that's listening to your story right now and they're hearing about the repeated physical and sexual abuse and the moving from family to family and the being pulled out of one terrible environment and thrust into another terrible environment. And they're thinking to themselves, I couldn't have done that. I couldn't have survived. How is it possible that CL made it through that and became the guy that he is today? Well, you just heard him give the answer in one word. It's his foundation. And because the foundation is solid, there are going to be some storms in life and it's going to get really rough and really rocky, but that <laughs> foundation is solid enough, enough. I think I know a Bible example of this where mm. when the winds blow and when the rains come, you've got a rock solid foundation that you can stand on. And the truth is that's exactly where I come from too, CL. When the, when life was absolutely at its worst and everyone around me was in over their head, I had this absolute unimaginable sense of peace because the foundation was solid enough that I knew what happens next, no matter how it turns out, I'm good. If it's yeah. great, then yes. to God be the glory. And if it's uh, you know, my death in the next few moments, then to God be the glory. I'm, I'm going to be okay. 
You know, and, and that's the thing, Jeff, I, I know some people, you know, Jesse, the body Ventura said, you know, that that's shallow and it's a crutch and all that kind of stuff. But, but I, I would just tell dare you, him to look me in the eyes and say that to my face. Right. That's right. Yeah. Because here's, here's what, here's what you can, here's what I say to people. And I say this with kindness and love. You might can argue with my theology. You might be able to dispute or debate my methods, but you cannot dispute and debate the results. Yeah. You can't. And all I'm saying is, is that we have the results of what God has done in our life. When I say that he puts an open door before us, Jeff, I don't have to go around kicking doors in. I told, I, I'm just talking in the spirit right now. I hope but people I told, are hearing what you're saying. You don't have yeah. to go around kicking doors in. Go on, T.L. No, sir. I, I, and, and I don't know. I, I told my wife, I said, when I looked at all the things that you have done, Jeff, you know, your, your, your humility is greater than your, what you, you've accomplished, but your accomplishments are, are stellar and sublime. And I told my wife, I said, man, I don't know how this, this gentleman found me. Uh, and I said, I don't, I don't know what our association is. I said, but God is putting before us doors that are already yeah. open. Yeah. And for, and, for, and I believe that he is expediting relationships. And so, you know, those that listen to this podcast, you know, Jeff and I are now in the brotherhood. Uh -huh. he, no matter about Army or, right. or Marine Corps, we are in the brotherhood because we understand that we are on the same path and same mission of changing lives. That's right. Team. And fighting for the same team. So that makes us right. automatically brothers. And don't forget, we share another commonality, a gold Dodge Caravan. Yes, sir. Um, that's right. That's right. <laughs> listen, if you, if, you don't, if you don't know what real life is like, Go on, get yourself That's a right. You got to put caravan. a whole bunch of kids in the back of a Dodge Caravan and do a drive halfway across the country. And that will show you what being a man's all about. Because <laughs> if you don't lose your if you don't lose your hair or your religion on that, that's a man right there. Um, yeah. CL, you're helping people and your your uh, foundation and your company is helping people um make a huge impact in their life. So I want you to spend a, a minute or two telling people um, about Impact Life 24-7 and how you're helping people face adversity. Yes, sir. And I, I'm honored again to be on, on this amazing show. I'm looking forward to having you on mine. I'm trying to it's work my deal. fingers. I'm, I'm, I'm working my fingers to try to send your assistant the message right now. All right. Um, but but the, um, the reality is, is that I found that there were five areas that needed uh influencing or impact mm -hmm. okay and i'm not gonna give my old yeah, don't give the, don't give all of the secret sauce away right now because no, they'll, they'll they won't need me no That's more right. it's the home it's the school it's the community it's the faith-based group and it's the individual young people i feel like god called me to speak to another generation and so i've developed five pillars that are associated with those five areas I feel like the, the home and the school has become so disconnected. I talk to teachers and principals and administrators where they don't ever see the, they never see the parents. Never. Yeah. They don't, they don't even know who the parents are. Hmm. They drop them off on orientation night and they never see them again yeah. for four, for four years. The reality is, is that we do have to still be involved in our kids' lives. Right. 
just because they turn a particular age doesn't mean that that's okay. That that's it. The plane flies by itself. No, it still needs help. The the church and the the church and the school. I know that there's a separation between church and state, but we're talking about serving the same yeah. people, and it seems like we're going in a, a two opposite directions. So I'm working to make sure that those very same kids that are at the school who happen to go to the church that's in that community hear a message of, "Hey, look, man, this still you still can do this." Okay, yeah. what happened in school? You still can do it. The, you know, the political and community f- figures, you know, I, we got a we got an opioid epidemic in this country. Mm-hmm. I, I did three shows on it. I'm having a mother on who just lost her, her son to it. My nephew passed away last mm-hmm. year from an opioid uh, overdose with fentanyl. And 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 our elected leaders need to realize that it's costing our country a trillion dollars a year, and we're just kind of kicking the can down wow. the road. So that's another pillar that we've got to get the community engaged in saving our kids' lives. And then lastly, I created two master classes for young people called The Grind All right. and Gear. And and it's really just helping young people find their place in life. Yeah. And so that's what that's what I do. That's that's what my passion is, and that's what I'm going to continue to do until the Lord calls me home. Well, I think you got some people fired up about what you do. If they want to find more information about you, man, where do they go? All they got to do is real simple. Go to C.L. King Speaker. That's C.L. King speaker.com. And right there, you'll, you'll find our podcast. You'll find all the opportunities to connect with us. And, uh, you, you'll see soon the show with me and, uh, me and Jeff that he, when he comes on our show. And so it's really, that's it impacting one life one day at a time. I know I told our team, we got a staff of six folks and I told them the other day, I said, listen, you can put butter in a pan, go on TikTok." should make a 30 second video of you frying butter and you can get 500 million views of this, ben- <laughs> of this benign activity, right? That just goes to show where our society's mentality yeah. is. But I said, I don't care about that. I'm not, I'm not interested in being viral. I'm interested in being valuable. And so it, that's what our focus on. If it's one life, if it's a hundred lives, our goal is impacting at least one every day. Awesome. Uh, we will, for those of you who are driving, we're going to put the link to that website, clkingspeaker.com in the notes to this broadcast, go back and, and look at it later. If you're sitting around watching this on your computer or on your phone or listening to this, why don't you go ahead and click that link when this episode ends and go check out CL's website, man. Thank you for being the kind of guy who's adding value and making an impact, not just trying to get viral and uh, have 500 million people watch you fry butter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, maybe we should go try that. Yeah, maybe we'll get I don't know, man. Couple thousand people, huh? Yeah. Hey, it's been great being with you. I'm going to look forward to showing up on your show and connecting with your audience pretty soon, man. Thank you for joining us this week. It, it's, on, it's on the way. We look forward to it, sir. All right. C.L. King has been through just about every challenging situation that a human being can go through. And he ended up stronger and able to face adversity. And if you heard something today and you're really struggling and you're not getting stronger on the other end, I want you to reach out to me personally. Find me on social media and let me know that you're really wrestling with something. All you have to do to find me is just search for at Unbeatable Podcast. Or maybe there's something you heard from CL today and you really want to reach out to him. Why don't you connect with him at his website, clkingspeaker.com? I want to thank you for joining us on this episode. 
And if you've been listening to us for a while and you really like this podcast, would you tell everybody else out there how much you enjoy this by giving us a rating on your favorite podcast platform? And I want to invite you, by the way, if you want news, if you want information, if you want exclusives, why don't you go ahead and sign up to become part of the Unbeatable Army? The only thing you got to do is just go to unbeatablearmy.com and give us some basic information and we'll put you on the list for all of the awesome stuff that's happening as part of this podcast. Thanks for joining me on this episode and I'll see you right back here next week on Unbeatable.